<clears throat> so I entitled my message, Do Everything with Love. That's the, that's the kind of the concluding thought theme that Paul is working on in this last passage. And uh, I really, I fought the urge to go over everything and rehash everything. I threw it out. Um, and I just decided to preach on this passage because I feel like it is, it is Paul's summary statement of this book, that, you know, this book that we call Corinthians. So I just wanted to kind of start with a question. Imagine if you found out that you were leaving tomorrow on a trip somewhere and you would be out of communication for an extended period of time with whoever it is, spouse, family, kids, dog, cat, uh, and you had to hand off those people to someone else, your car, your house, everything, all the stuff that you have, someone was going to take care of it. You had like a day to prepare and share with them. What, 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 is go, what goes through your mind as you, as you think about, what do I need to communicate to this person? What, what do they need to know? It's interesting to think about. In the same vein, I've been thinking a lot about teaching people to drive. My oldest uh, has just finished driver's ed and is currently learning how to drive. Um, I certainly enjoy teaching her how to drive. I'm not sure she's having the same experience that I'm having. She's a lot less scared of the things that she doesn't see than I am. When we started out, I had to create like a little code like, Zoe, if I scream out stop right now, you just have to do that, okay? Even if you don't understand, just do it. So I've only had to do it once. She didn't think I had to, but uh, I felt like I did. Um, but thinking about the rally of teaching someone how to drive, it's not hard. It's the point where you hand over the keys. That's the hard part for the first time. Like, hey, Dad, I'm taking your nice 97 Honda Civic out, you know? Like, be careful. But it's not the car that I'm worried about. It's just the first time that you go out into the chaos of traffic that we live in. It's an interesting thought. I remember learning how to drive. Uh, my dad was an interesting character in my life. And uh, when he was 14, 13, 14, this is back in the day, okay? Uh, so he actually would take his parents' car when he was like 14 and go driving around. And then he got a job, and then he actually bought a car from like a junkyard when you could buy cars for like 50 bucks. And so he had a car when he was 14 that he would park around the block, and he'd been driving ever since. And so one day we go up to get my permit, and I take my little permit test. You know, you write out all the questions, and you get your permit. Here you go. You're permitted to drive with your parents. So as we walk out in the parking lot, my dad says, you want to drive? You want to drive home? And I'm like, sure. I've never driven anything before. My dad just thinks I've been stealing his car for like two years and driving around, and I, I, I knew how to do it, right? So my, my learning how to drive was like a 20-minute almost crash course in how to navigate a car for the first time. So I, I'm in downtown Federal Way, and I drove home. And by the time we got home, I, I remember my, we were almost there, and my dad kind of looks at me, and he goes, you've never driven before. And I'm like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> you just assumed that I was like you, you know, some kind of little criminal. And uh, 
I've never been behind the wheel before. And, you know, I, I pretty much had it figured out by the time I got home. Like, you know when you first get in the car and you, you turn the wheel, it doesn't do what you, it doesn't just go right around the corner, you know? So I'm just like up on square curves. I'm like way out on the corners. Like not, you don't stop when you, when you learn how to stop. It's like you just see someone driving and you think, oh, you just touch the brake and it just stops when you want it to. So I'm just like, you know, like it was, he was scared. And uh, so he said, maybe we should go to a parking lot. And I'm like, well, too late for that. I think I just passed the parking lot test like on the way home. So I've tried to take a different approach to uh, teaching Zoe how to drive. And she's awesome, actually. She's doing really well. Uh, she'll have her license as soon as the state permits. But uh, I was thinking about that issue as I thought about this passage, because here Paul is getting to the end of this long letter to this troubled church, and he's sort of handing over the keys now and saying, so what is it that he would want to say to them in, in concluding, in conclusion, as he's, as he's shared so much with them in this letter? You've got, you know, encouraging them to begin with, reminding them of who they are in Christ, reminding them of the gospel, addressing some of their questions, addressing some of their issues, talking about the division that existed, talking about all the, the craziness that was surrounding their, their, uh, their church services, their communion services, their use of the spiritual gifts and how they had kind of turned that into what it shouldn't be. Um, so there's so much that's gone on here, but one of the things we remember from Corinthians is love. Chapter 13, the, one of the most famous passages on love uh, in the Bible, certainly, but also in, in our culture. And I think as Paul sums everything up, that's, that's the theme that sort of rings out in this last little section, is love. So Paul's trying to hand over this sort of mindset, this philosophy. You know, when you're teaching someone to drive, for instance, it's just, uh, it's not just the mechanics, like you turn the wheel, signals, wipers, lights, gas pedals. There's also a mindset that sort of goes with that, you know? Like, do you want your young driver to be a hyper-aggressive, risky driver? Probably not. You want them to be more a defensive driver? You know, I, I sort of would want to hand off, like, an aggressive, defensive mindset of driving around here. Because you have to make decisions, because people are crazy. And if you hesitate, you know, sometimes that causes some issues. Um, and so, you just can't really predict anything around here, except for this one thing. If you, if you don't know it, it's like a rule of traffic. Maybe you've experienced it. It works. I don't think I've seen it fail. When you're on the freeway, and you want to get over, and, like, right or left, and you see a spot that's kind of a few cars back, you put your signal on, and the guy that's that's like kind of next to you or right behind you will speed up so you can't get over and that creates a spot for you like instantly it's pretty awesome try it out like just you're on the freeway and you're like oh, i want to get right there put your signal on and then you get right behind him it just works every single time it's weird that's like the only thing that's consistent in traffic around here and i would say the same for love love it works every single time we just don't always want to try it we don't always want to use it. And so Paul says to these people, do everything with love. And it, this passage really stuck out to me as I was, as I was looking at the, the flow of this passage. First, it starts with these four exhortations in verse 13. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Okay? And that's just the sermon outline right there, right? Like, there we go. Let's just go through the outline. Be, strong, be on guard. Stand firm. Be courageous. And do everything with love. 
And I, as I looked at that, I thought of my, myself, you know, being a selfish person. But I also thought of my recent experiences with the sabbatical and, and with where, where, what, we've been, uh, what I've been going through. And, and just thinking about the reality that to love others as God calls us to love really means that you need to care for yourself. You can't love somebody in the way that Jesus is calling us to love others if you're not on guard and firm in the faith and courageous and strong in the faith, in the spirit, in your spiritual life. Because loving others is not a contractual thing in the scripture. Loving others means you love people unconditionally as Jesus loves us. We know what love is because he laid down his life for us and so we can lay down our lives for others. Unconditional love doesn't compute in our society. All we know is contractual things. Like, sure, I'm going to do all this for them because I'm going to get something out of it. How do you love someone? How do you, how do you really do all things in love without an expectation of it being reciprocated? Well, we have to, we have to be strong in the faith. We have to know Jesus. And, and I just wanted to comment on these things because this is something I've experienced as I kept, was sort of running myself down into the ground, running myself onto empty and thinking I could just keep going. And you just can't, you can't love others if you're not being filled with what, God, with, with what God gives. It's only God's love being poured into us that enables us to pour it out into other people's Rewind that. People's lives. So he says, be on guard. This is a, this is a statement that, that it's, it's a word that comes throughout Scripture. Be watchful. Be alert. Be on guard. Be aware of what's going on. Jesus says, be alert in prayer. And I, as I look at this, I think there's two things. We need to be aware of ourselves. Where are we at spiritually? Where, where are we at with Jesus? Where are we at in our spiritual development and growth? If you're following Jesus, you're on a, you're on a, a pathway of spiritual growth. There's no neutral ground. There's no rest stops. There's, there's none of that. It's just growth. You were born again in Christ. You've given, been given new life, and now you're growing. Sometimes you're, plat- you're walking along a plateau, Sometimes your client feels like you're growing, but you're growing. God wants you to grow up. God wants us to mature in Christ. Where are we at? Do you know where you're at in that? And then to love others, do you know them? If, love, if loving someone else according to God's love, this giving love, is to be able to look out for their good before your own, like a simple definition of it, what is their good? Do you even know what it is? Are you aware of what they might need? Sometimes we can't really love someone in the way that God has called us to love people if, if we don't know them, if we don't know the other that we're trying to lay down our life for, that we're trying to give things to. So are we aware? Are we on guard? I remember <laughs> thinking about traffic, sitting at a light. You know, you guys, you guys have all done this. The light turns green, and the person in front has their head down. They're not going, you know. And you're like 10 people back in the line. And you're like, oh, man. You know, because when I'm sitting at a light, you know, maybe I'm not trying to pump myself up here. But uh, I'm sitting at like a NASCAR drag strip on, on the starting block. And I, I see the pole of lights that are counting down to the point when I punch the gas all the way to the floor and go. As soon as it like starts to hint that it's going to turn green, my daughters will attest, I'm counting at every light because every light around here is about eight seconds 
from the last time the person leaves the cross one to when it, mine turns green, right? Zoe doubts me because I counted seven seconds one time. But uh, <laughs> it's, about, it's about eight seconds. So like, as I'm driving and I see the last person go, then I'm going one, two, three. So like, I'm ready to go. So when the light turns green and that person's just like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, wow, Facebook kittens. And I'm just like, ah! like, now I'm going to miss the light, you know. They're not aware. They're completely oblivious of all the other people around them. This is exactly the opposite of this mindset. Like, are you, are you sitting somewhere blocking a whole bunch of other people from getting where they want to go? Are you aware of where you're at, of how, you're, how your actions are affecting uh, the people that surround you? That's how we can do everything in love when we, we have this awareness of who other people are. Why do I say that love is awareness of others? Because of our faith. The scripture says in 1 John, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought also to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. So love is not a feeling. Love is not a warm emotion towards someone. Love is taking action to to look out for that other person's interests. Love stands firm in the faith. Love stands firm. True love, as is expressed in Scripture, is never going to be fickle. It's never going to be wishy-washy. Love, as God demonstrates in his own sacrifice for us, is not soft. Jesus set his face for Jerusalem and didn't waver from demonstrating his love for us. This faith is a gift from God, but it also becomes a conviction for us. That it's something that we can stand on. Our faith is not only a personal experience or subjective feeling. The scripture says, stand firm in the faith. Immovable in the faith. And had, there's two senses to this idea, the faith. It has, it has the, the article, so it says the faith. And oftentimes when the, when the scripture says the faith, it's referencing the set of beliefs that we, that we have. You could, we can, it's summed up in different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it's called the apostles' teaching. Sometimes it's called the deposit. Sometimes it's called the tradition. Sometimes it's called the pattern of life that, that I've passed on to you. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, the things that you've seen in me teach these things to other faithful men that can teach others as well. So when we talk about the faith, there is an idea, there's this, there's this set of beliefs that we have that revolve around the gospel message of Jesus. It all starts with that. And, they, and, it, and, it, and it goes together. But it all, it's also stand firm in your faith, because if you're standing firm in the faith, obviously it's yours, you own it. So the question for you is, where are you at in your faith? Do you understand? Is there something that you need to learn? Our, the faith that we follow is something that's rooted in history. It's something we can stand firm on. It's, it's not completely a leap in the dark or a leap of faith or blind faith or all these ways that it's categorized. The faith that, that we have is a faith that's, that's based on history, that's based on the scripture, and that's based on our own experience. It's, it's a cumulative thing that we believe. The scripture is very clear. If Christ was not raised from the dead in history... Our faith is futile. It's pointless. Woe to us <laughs> among all the people, Paul says. 
we should be eating, drinking, and being merry if Jesus wasn't, wasn't raised from the dead. So you see where Paul would be at. You see what, where he would like to be hanging out. Yet he's sitting in prison writing about Jesus. And so our faith is rooted in reality of who Jesus was and who Jesus continues to be. Because when we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, it means that he's still alive today, that he's someone we can still interact with. And we can stand firm in that reality. So our faith is not a set of dead dogmas that we memorize. It's a living trust in one who gave himself for us and a relationship with him in the spirit who gives new life. Plant your feet on those truths and stand with Jesus because he is with you. It says, be courageous and be strong. Now, courage is an interesting thing. Courage doesn't come, this courage doesn't come from inside of us. I thought of this picture immediately because we, we had a friend who had a mental dog in Ecuador, this little dog that was just like incorrigible and just, I didn't really like it, if you can't guess. Um, I tried to like Stephen Hauschka it over a car one time when uh, it was going after my little toddler. And uh, we, you would go for a walk with this dog. And when you're, this is in Ecuador, right? So the, everyone has like five dogs. And they just, they exist around their house. And they just eat scraps and they're just like wild dogs, right? And they especially, I found out, don't like gringos. I mean, you know, the dogs are kind of racist, whatever. But uh, so when I, the gringos would, would parade through the town, the dogs would just come after, you know? So we had this crazy little dog who would be walking with you. And then the dogs would kind of look at us like, oh, I remember those gringos. You know, I'm not going to bother them. Well, this dog, this little miniature dog would run over and start barking at all the dogs and then run back and stand between your legs, like barking at the dogs. And you're just like, now they really want to get the gringos, right? Because it's like, oh, you think your dog's going to get you. This is the kind of courage that we can have in, in Christ. The courage is not our own. The courage is like who we're standing underneath. The God that loves us is able to deal with all of the dogs of life <laughs> that want to tear us apart. And this little dog, it reminded me, like, it, it felt so safe to stand with us and bark at the dogs, right? But when we would, like, kick it out toward the dogs, like, eat them, you know? It would shut up and run back, you know, like, run back between our legs. It's like, oh. So we stopped taking that dog out after a while. But this, this courage that, you're encouraged, that we're encouraged to have, that we're uh, admonished toward, it's not something that we, that we drum up in ourselves. It's based on standing firm in our, in our faith. It's based on standing with our Father. It's based on standing with Jesus. He's the one who we can be that can make us full of courage. And lastly, it says, be strong. The strength that we need flows out of all these things to be sure. But it, it takes a lot of strength that God gives by his grace to actually love others the way that he would have us love, the way that he has loved us. It is amazing that we can receive that love and, and worship and praise God for his grace, but then find it so hard to give that grace to others. It takes the strength that God gives. First Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul, Paul taught about these things. He says, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day of our Lord the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says he has invited you into a partnership with his son Jesus Christ 
there's a strength that doesn't come. We don't drum it up. We don't, we don't have it. We don't work it out. We don't, it doesn't flow from us. It flows into us from God. He's the one that keeps us strong. Ephesians 6, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all the armor of God, God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. There's a power, there's a strength that's available to us from God by faith. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's praying for the church in Ephesus and he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. It's interesting how love and strength work together there. As we are strengthened in our inner spirit to be able to, to understand the love of God, and then Christ makes his home in our heart as we trust in him, and the roots grow down into God's love, and that makes us stronger. To know that you're loved makes you strong. The scripture is telling you today, you are loved by God in Christ. And it's not that God feels a certain way to you. It's that God demonstrated his love to us in Christ. So as a follower of Jesus, you're not called to use your human powers, your strength, your own capability to love others, to love your neighbor as yourself. Is not the first commandment. It's predicated on loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God, that relationship comes first. That fills us with his love and enables us to give that love to others. It's in God's presence that we were made strong by his spirit, by his word, by his mighty power at work within us. And we are enabled by this new life in the spirit to be on guard, to be standing firm in our faith, and then to act courageously with the strength to love others. And I want to stress here the paradox. There's a paradox in this of following Jesus. It's like the more you lean on Jesus, the more you trust in him, the better you can love others. It's like you need to be selfishly following after Jesus to get as much of him as you can for yourself. And that enables you to be more selfless with other people. It's a weird thing. It is the awareness, that standing firm, that courage, strength, and the strength that we receive for ourselves from Jesus then we have the, a reservoir to draw from. And this leads to the next section. It's a reminder and encouragement. It's an example of how God's love works out in community. Paul says, uh, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. I was talking to Wayne this morning, actually. He mentioned it to me because he showed me this, this Yoda t-shirt, you know, how Yoda flips English on its head for some reason. And... Uh, so he shows me this shirt that says, real is the struggle. And I was trying to like figure out what Yoda was trying to say, right? And, uh, but I was actually thinking about Yoda when I read this sentence, because in the Greek, the grammar doesn't matter. The word order doesn't matter. You put what's important in front. So you kind of speak like Yoda. So like in this sentence, we, we did our best in English, do everything with love. Everything is the first word in that sentence. That's the most important thing. It's this paradigm, it's a reality, it's, it's all of these things work together so that everything you do, do it in love. The, the stress on that sentence is everything first, and then things that you do, and then do it in love. 
It doesn't mean love's not important, but it's, Paul's trying to stress to these people, okay, and I've covered almost everything in this, in this long letter, but in case I missed anything, everything that you do, do it in love. So here, here we see it working out in this, in this community. He mentions Stephanus and, and, his, and his crew came up to visit him and bring encouragement to him. And he thanks the church for sending them. And he says, they, they really encourage me. And I want you to honor these guys because they're serving the church. In the kingdom of God, things are different, Jesus says. He says, uh, it's, it's upside down, so to speak. Mike Gunn used to say, it's an upside down kingdom. So if love is not a feeling which fulfills us, it's a laying down of our lives for someone else unconditionally. Therefore, when leadership is done in love, Paul says, do everything in love. Leadership then is serving others in the church. Leadership is servanthood. Matthew 20, we see this as Jesus is walking with his disciples. Remember, Jesus is teaching these 12 men about the kingdom of God. And they actually think that Jesus is going to build a castle again and be the king on a throne and they're going to be in his court, right? That's the way they're thinking about it. Like this kingdom is going to destroy Rome and we're going to take over the world. And Jesus is talking and, and the mother of James and John, two of his followers, come up to Jesus and she, she kneels respectfully to ask a favor. He says, what's your request? She says, in your kingdom... Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and the other on your left. But, and Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. <laughs> Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he's chosen when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They get ticked off that they're asking for the best spots sitting next to them. They're already sort of politicking for this earthly kingdom that they think they're entering into. Jesus is so gracious with us. And we think to ourselves, how foolish were they that they thought they were going to get an earthly kingdom from Jesus? Hmm. We would never have that thought. But Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Among you it will be different. Leadership in God's kingdom is servanthood. Paul encourages the church to recognize these leaders. They had been serving the church. And I love this quote from one of, one of the commentaries I read by a cat named Richard Hayes. He says, in fact, Paul's turn of phrase in the Greek literally says literally, they have appointed themselves for service to the saints. That is how authority works in a community where believers are subject to one another in love. People volunteer to serve and thereby gain the esteem of others in the community. Thus, Stephanus and his household exemplify the way that Paul is seeking to inculcate among his churches. For that reason, the Corinthians are encouraged to give recognition to them. Hey, uh, <clears throat> this is from Richard Hayes. So, 
That is how authority works in a community where believers are subject to one another in love. We always have to fight this idea that leadership is somehow like the world does it. You know, we have a fearless leader right now in our country that's given us a great example of how not to lead biblically, even though he might profess some sort of (laughs) uh, recent uh, faith. And so, in that case, maybe he's just a baby in the faith. Maybe he just needs to grow up. I hope so. I hope so. But leadership is not like that in the kingdom of God. Those that would be leaders in the kingdom of God that do everything in love will be those who are willing to serve others, those who are serving others. Now, the thing that happens, I think, in in church, uh, in the institution, in the the way that we do things is, is we think to ourselves, like, well, some things are more important than others. Some acts of service are like, oh, the the guy that's up on the stage is like some kind of spiritual giant. He must have all the answers, and so we should listen to him because, you know, that's that's the important service there. When I'm setting up chairs, that's not really as important. That's not true. That's a total and utter lie. God does not see the roles that he assigns to his people as somehow in some sort of hierarchy in the church. Like, God is not honoring me for preaching the word any more than he would honor someone for making coffee as an act of service done in love for the sake of his church. He, he wants the church to be working so that, in Ephesians says, so each part is supplying what's lacking so that, so that the church is building itself up in love. So I, I also want to encourage us today as we, as we serve in the church, as we serve on Sunday or wherever it is throughout the week, that we don't, we don't get caught up in the world's way of, of thinking about leadership in the, in the church and think that somehow, well, I don't want to do that kind of a job or this is just not important, I'm just going to do this. It's those jobs that you get to do that nobody sees, that you do just for Jesus. Like, I'm doing this just for the Lord. Like, nobody's going to pat me on the back for having straight rows of chairs or taking out the garbage or whatever it might be. And the danger of having a, having a different role that God has assigned is maybe, like, I would stand up here and think, yeah, people are listening to me. I must be pretty important. Well, you know, like, I guess I'm pretty smart after all. Uh, it's not true. My, my act of service here is, is no different. I'm fulfilling the role and the gifting that God has given me for the church. And I, I hope that I would do this in love with, with an attitude of service, that I wouldn't be trying to lord it over like the world does. So it's really a kingdom that we serve in, there's so much opportunity to serve Jesus. And there's not a hierarchy of where you should jump in at that. And there's no ladder to climb. In fact, it might be a ladder to climb down to the top in the kingdom of God. Jesus takes the lowest place when he, when he is at the highest place and he washes his disciples' feet. There's a story about it, John chapter 13. You can read it if, if you're unfamiliar. Secondly, Paul here is reminding the Corinthians that they're not the only church in the area, and neither are we. The movement of God in Renton and South King County is way bigger than Harambe Church. We're not the only ones that are doing it right, or we're not the only church that's meeting right now, even in this, in this town. I've heard the figure 88 churches in Renton. I don't know if that still stands. But there are believers in this area, and we are a united family that the Holy Spirit is using to accomplish His purposes in this area, which makes it even more important for us as a church to understand what God has called us to. 
so that we don't try to do everything. We try to do what God has, has us to do. What, our, what is our role as a church in this area? That's why we want to seek to clear, clarify the vision that God has given us as a church and say this is what God has given Harambe Church to do. It's not over and against or in competition with the other churches in the area. It's together with the movement of God in this area. And Paul's reminding the Corinthians of that. Hey, all the churches in Asia say what's up. And Priscilla and Aquila send greetings from their home church. And so the church is uh, the movement of God, the church universal, the big C church. And then there's little local uh, expressions of that church all over the place. You know, then, and we, we do things differently in some places. We have different kinds of music, different this and that. But let's not forget that we are part of a movement of God and seek to cooperate with our brothers and sisters that might be in a different local church. That's a challenge for us today. To live as the body of Christ in an area. It's interesting, too, to think about this area. We know, you can look at this up, 90%, maybe like 93% of the people who live in this area are not attending a religious gathering on a Sunday morning. 93%. So there's room for a lot of more churches in this area. <laughs> there's room for a lot of more work to be done in this area. 93% of Harambe Church is not even here today. No, I'm just uh, So we have our own work to do. The challenge for us is to live as the body of Christ and seek to invite others into a strong community built on love. And we've been given this message of reconciliation, sent as ambassadors to our communities, our families, our workplaces, etc., to speak on Christ's behalf. But what are we inviting people into? That's the question. If you invite someone, like what are they going to receive when they come to the invitation? A community that's doing everything in love or something else? We need, we need work in that area. We need to be work on being hospitable, being more welcoming, and not just being like, hey, what's up? Uh, you know, find a seat. And lastly, the church needs others. As Paul progresses through this, he gets to this famous passage, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 20 through 21. All the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with Christian love. And, he, he, it, and then it has all caps in my translation. It says, here is my greeting in my own handwriting, dash, Paul. <laughs> it's kind of cool to think about the original manuscript here. Because Paul was probably having somebody, like, if I was going to write letters to people, I would have Angie write them for me. Because they wouldn't be able to read them if I wrote them. My, my writing is horrible. Like, even when I vote and I sign my name, they send it back to me and say, is that your signature? Like, they want me to do a different signature because it's just a scribble. I hate writing. I, it's like my hands don't work. It's weird. They were made for like, you know, if God had invented, God invented keyboards for that, right? And so I would be like, hey, Angie, can you write? Because her, her writing's just like scribal, just like perfect, you know? So Paul's writing with a scribe. Maybe this guy Sosthenes, and, he's, and Sosthenes writing. And then Paul, at the end, Paul says, give me that pen real quick. This is my own handwriting, Paul, you know? So, they, so that they would recognize that Paul's, contributing this letter it's kind of cool but he says here uh the nlt translates this saying 
greet one another with Christian love. You know, our, our translations do their best. This, this says, greet each other with a holy kiss. You guys heard that passage? Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, in our culture, we don't even understand that. Like, kiss one another? What are you talking about? We're just, like, so over-sexualized. Like, our minds just go there. Like, oh, I'm not going to kiss anyone. We have problems, I'm trying to say. We have problems. They would greet one another, like, if you lived anywhere else, if you ever lived a place where you have to greet people with a kiss, like we lived in South America, like, I had to learn how to kiss everyone when I would greet them, you know? I headbutted a few people. Uh, I had to get my timing just right. It's, it was hard. It's hard to, like, how hard do you kiss them on the cheek, you know? And it's everyone, brothers and sisters, like, you know, just kissing everybody right down the line. And that was new for me. I didn't have such a nasty beard at the time, so that, that might have helped. Maybe they would stay away from me. I don't know. But uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. So the NLT tries to say with Christian love. Because they're trying to say, like, how do you greet one another? Like, what does a greeting look like in our culture? How do you acknowledge that somebody is, is there, that is your brother and sister, is somebody that's, that's worth acknowledging, somebody that has value to you? This is, what, this is how love works itself out when somebody comes in. We're not just like, hmm. You know, we're like, oh, hey, Mike, it's good to see you this morning. Is it? You know, am I, am I being honest? Like, am I happy to see my brothers and sisters? Do, do I love that person enough to go and just acknowledge them and say, welcome. Welcome into the gathering. Welcome to, to worship God today. What's your name? You know, my name is on my lost name tag. Uh, it's John. But uh, that, the idea of greeting is so important. I learned this experientially in my own life. Because when, it was when I first went to Bible college, I started this Bible school, and uh, when I entered in this school, I was just sort of this introspective, like, rough around the edges jerk, you know? You might think, well, what has changed? Well, not much, but uh, I just came, and I just had been working construction, just skateboarded all the time, just, like, fighting all the time, and, like, Jesus just grabbed my life one day and went, you know, you're going to go this way. I'm like, all right. And uh, so I started going that way, and then I would go to the Bible school, you know, and just, I'm just there to learn, all right? Like, stay away from me, right? So I'm, I'm walking down the hallway with my, if I would have had a smartphone, you know, I wish, uh, with my books and just my head down, and then I would walk by this one office when this lady named Dee, it was her, she was a receptionist, kind of multitasker in there, and everybody that walked by her office was greeted by her. So, and it was this very, like, emotional, or I don't know, uh, really happy greeting, you know, so she, you would walk by, and she'd be like, hey, John, and I, you know, I, I would, I would begin to, like, avoid that doorway if I could, and I would, I, immediately, I'm thinking, like, are you serious? Are you really that happy? Like, I've never been that happy in my whole existence, like, I don't even, how could you greet everyone that way, right? Like, so I'm just, like, walking down the hall, and hey, John, and I'm just, like, like, cringing, you know, but she kept it up. She just kept up greeting me, greeting me. Like, I, and I couldn't avoid the doorway sometimes. I had to walk by it. And uh, eventually I'm like, hey, you know, fake smile, like fake, like as much as I could, you know. I'm just bad at faking stuff. And uh, I'm getting better though. That's one of the things God has changed. No. Uh, <laughs> and so eventually she just broke down like the walls. Like it was just like, hey, and then I didn't, Eventually, it was like, I didn't receive it as, like, this irritating, like, fake happiness. Like, I realized she really was. She was, she was being sincere. I wasn't. And so then it was like, 
hey, you know, and then I would stop and be like, hey, D. So your name's D. You know, I'm John. You know, say, hey, yeah, I know this and that. You're, you're so-and-so's brother, and I know them, and kind of tell me stuff. And I'm like, you're telling me a lot of stuff. You know, I'm just like such an ignoramus about how to like interact with people. And uh, it was just greeting. It was just her greeting me that began to help me understand that. And then when I came across this passage, it was like, huh, that's really important. Like that really makes a difference. And if you think about it in your own lives, like I've, even when I came here to Harambe, I would greet people. I was in the after school program, you know, and just here I am, weird dude. And then guys from Renton are coming in and they're just kind of like, who are you? You know, I'm like, hey, what's up? Play basketball, football? Like, and I would just greet people, you know? And it took like, you know, for an old white dude to break down the barriers, it takes a while. And uh, it took like a month or so and people would be like, hey, what's up, John? Yeah, I'm playing basketball, this and that. And we start talking, you know? When Celestine shows up, it was just like that day. Oh, what's up, Celestine? Like, how, how you doing? I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. I've been here for like five years, sucker. You never said what's up to me. But, uh, so that's important to remember. But I even started trying it out on other people. There was a guy that I had a friend that was even more, like, introspective than me, like, just kind of, like, really quiet. And when he came to Harambe, I'd be like, what's up, man? And he'd just be like, hey, you know. And then after a while, I'd, like, go up to him and be like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. And he'd be like, oh, hi. You know, and then just, like, go away. Seriously, I'm not even, like, exaggerating. And, uh, but after a while, I could see him. He would come in, and then he'd kind of, like, scan for me. He'd be like, oh, there he is. You know, like, try to, like, get away. But it was, like, I don't know, a couple weeks. And then one day, he comes in. He's like, hey, John, just comes up to me. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. What's up? Oh, hey, you want to you wanna go to a Sounders game? Sure. <laughs> You got tickets? Like, yeah, 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 I do. Like, let's go. Like, oh, awesome. That's cool. You know, like, just out of the blue, all of a sudden, like, we're friends. All I was doing was greeting him, you know, just like, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, what's up? Acknowledging him, you know? And he was perfectly content to, like, not be acknowledged. And yet, the gospel redeems our culture, and it redeems us. And it, and it, it wants to change certain things about us. So we can't just let our culture rule, you know? And just be like the, like, culture, you know? Uh, it's like being in a white church versus being in a black church when you preach. Like, people say, like, how do you even know if white people are with you? Like, well, they glance up from their phone or, or they'll give me, like, a nod, you know? Um, some, some are doing, like, the extended prayer, you know, I wonder. But uh, it's interesting, you know? Like, how do you know people are with you? Different cultures? It's not, a, it's not like one culture is better than the other except the kingdom culture that calls us out of where, where we're, we're supposed to be. And so Paul is saying, greet one another with a holy kiss. When you see people, like, say what's up to them. And I felt this very strongly, like, one more. When I, I left here one time, and I went to another, I went to, like, a, a staff meeting at another church, another culture area, and I went into the, the room of all the staff there, and everybody was, like, typing away on their, on their Macs. So already, right? And, uh, so they're just like, you know, like, eh. And I walk in the room, like, they didn't even glance at me. They didn't even look up, like, nothing. It was just like, you come in, I'm just like, I was going to say, like, hey, or what's, or hey, how you doing, you know, but they were just like, type in. And then it was like, I just kind of sat in the corner waiting for the meeting to start, you know. And then when the meeting started, they just kind of gathered around the table, and it's like, all right, let's have our meeting. 
I remember thinking to myself, like, this is not right. This just feels so wrong to me now because nobody greeted one another. Like, I don't, I don't have to, like, be, I don't have to, like, have my ego, like, inflated, you know, like, hey, John, you're awesome, you know, like, Norm from Cheers or something, but just, like, something, just like, hey, how you doing? And so I say this because, I mean, at Harambe Church, it's something we need to work on. It's something that we need to grow in. Uh, we have all types of people that come through these doors. Some people we know, some people we don't. Some people are, that are staying here living with us, like, people need to be acknowledged. People need to be greeted by the body of Christ. It's almost like step one in doing everything in love. Step one in, in seeking someone else's highest good is to say, you're, you're worth saying hi to. I, I acknowledge you. You're welcome here. You can come and be part of our family. This, this is what Paul is, is encouraging the Corinthians, just that greet one another. He's reminding them, like, don't, don't not greet one another. They, they had way more problems well, similar problems to us. Class problems, race problems. They had it all. You guys, have, you guys have studied this. You guys have been through this. So they don't want to greet certain people. Paul's saying, no, in the kingdom, in this family, we're going to greet one another. And so that comes back to doing everything in love, recognizing and acknowledging the other, affirming that they're welcome, inviting people into a meaningful meaningful and strengthening relationships into a community which seeks to serve others in love. And then Paul says this at the very end, and I'm going to finish with this. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the, Lord, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. So he says that person is cursed. He says, our Lord, come. That's the word Maranatha that you might have heard. It's an Aramaic word. That means our Lord come. But they would use it kind of as like a chant or like a, they would shout it out. Like, come back, Lord Jesus. So the question for you is, are you aware of the people that God has put in your life? And do you know how they are doing? Are you watchful of your own heart? How is your faith? Are you standing firm in the faith? Are you satisfied with what you know about the faith? Are you growing as a learner, as a disciple, can you instruct others in everything that Jesus has taught you? Do you have the confidence that you need to share the good news or the courage that you need to share the good news of Jesus with others? How can you be strengthened in these things? And are they a priority in your patterns of life? As we examine ourselves, we experience the reality of falling short in so many areas. We're not as strong or as smart or as faithful as we could be. We don't trust Jesus as much as we could. And these questions are not meant to condemn because we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is ever watchful and alert. Jesus is on guard for us, lifting us up in prayer. He's our great high priest. He's standing firm in the faith because he's the one that we trust. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He demonstrates perfect trust in the Father. He knows our lack of confidence, our weaknesses, and yet he took up his cross, going before us in our place to the place of judgment and taking on himself our weaknesses and our sin so that we could be made whole through the sanctifying power of the Spirit granted to us by his sacrifice. Jesus loves us and demonstrated that love through his sacrifice of himself. This love is poured out and becomes our strength. And when I say Jesus loves us, 
That means everyone in here. Because that sacrifice that he made is for you. Whether you've received the forgiveness of sins in his name or not, he did it for you. He loves you and he demonstrated it on the cross. Paul wants to remind us and leave the Corinthians with love as a paradigm and a guide and ethos by which all things are done. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And Paul ends by writing in his own hand. And I I just wanted to, to say this last thing because it's interesting. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is anathema. That person is cursed. It's like anathema is like you're cursed, right? And it seems like such a harsh statement. But I know, I know Paul and his writing and what he, the way he thinks. And as we were talking about this in the cadre, I was trying to put it into words. And Mike Smith, like, captured it for me. Paul's saying, if you don't love the Lord, you don't know what you're missing. That's how we, that's how we might say that today. You don't know what you're missing. And when he said that, I was like, that's it. I'm going to write that down. That's what Paul's saying. If anyone doesn't love the Lord, that person doesn't know what they're missing. And then he says, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. So let's strive to be strong enough to do everything in love, united by serving one another and be a place of great hospitality, greeting one another and growing together in the love that Jesus has given. Let's pray. Lord, Help us to know what it means when we say, Lord, to you. Help us to be submitted to your kingdom, Lord. Help us to be on guard. Help us to be standing firm in our faith. Help us to be courageous, Lord. Help us to be strong. And help us to do everything in love, Lord Jesus. Just as you showed us, just as you demonstrated to us, give us your spirit, Lord, that the fruit of the spirit of love would be in us. It would be manifest in this body. Lord, help us to look to one another, to, to seek, to walk out, to, to love in word and in truth, and not just in our own minds or in our, in our words. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice that washes away our sins and makes us right with you. I pray against any condemnation in this place, Lord. I pray that you would bring forgiveness. I pray that you would bring sanctification. And I pray, Lord, for salvation in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.